Last week, uh, you know, I was preaching to you on uh, Christ taking the disciples across the calm, then stormy, then calm Sea of Galilee. And as he took them through that experience, he didn't calm their hearts, but he stirred, stirred them up. They were scared to death, and then they got even more afraid after he calmed the sea. And I made the comment in that sermon that there are times when we need to be stirred up in the same way like that. And I want us to take that thought a little deeper this morning as I, I thought about what, what do we need to get us stirred up to the point that Christ is our all-surpassing value. Let me ask a question. Who is God? What is God? You know, when you ask that question, uh, you're going to get a lot of different answers. Let's go to someone who met Christ face-to-face, talked with him, and any of the apostles would do. But I want us to take us to the Apostle Paul. Look first with me at Philippians 3, verse 8. Paul's answer to or his description of Christ, Philippians 3, verse 8. He says, more than that, and he's, he's speaking in a comparative sense. He says, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of their surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. So Paul says, you know, when I compare all things, everything I know, I count everything to be comparatively smaller, even loss in comparison to Christ, who's comparatively higher. He is so high, it's surpassing value would be what I would have to attribute to Christ. Well... Paul can fill that out a little bit more. Look over at Colossians 1, the next book over, verse 15 through 18. Here he's continuing to describe Christ. Colossians 1, 15 through 18, he says, Christ, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. So then we have this value placed on Christ, and he's first, he's preeminent. He has first place in everything. He's the one who holds all things together. You know, as we started our service this morning, singing How Great Thou Art, one of the lines in that psalm, is, uh, him is just thinking about... the. The, the sky and the stars and the thunder. You think about that in relation to Colossians 1. He's holding all of that together. So as you go and look at the night sky and you see trillions of stars and you realize 
Christ is the one holding all of that together and me on earth all at the same time so that none of us fall out of place. That's of supreme value that he's doing that. Begin to to comprehend that as Paul is trying to do there in Colossians 1 of Christ holding everything and creating everything and raising everything, providing for everything. It's just um, unsurpassing value uh, that God has. Well, do, do we have that? I struggle with that sometimes when I worship. Am I thinking in my heart, my mind that Christ is surpassing value when I sing? Is Christ your surpassing value when you play? When you have friends over for entertainment? When you make love? When you read? When you go to the bank? Is Christ your surpassing value of all values? Do you contemplate that? Do you think about that? Do you see him in all things, holding all things together, sustaining all things, creating all things, giving life to all things, so that we treat him as the one who has all value? Um, You know, as I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, from my beginning with Christ... The relationship has been calculated to thrill. From your beginning with Christ, the relationship's been calculated to thrill. Does everybody have in your family the fun one? You know, I hear people say, my wife's the fun one, or my husband's the fun one, or my uncle so-and-so is the fun one. If you've got one of those fun ones, you know what I'm talking about. It's like if you have people over say, well, he's coming, so it'll be fun. You know, there are fun ones that you know of. They may be in your family. They just may be a friend. But you know if they come over, it's calculated to thrill. It's going to be entertaining. It's going to be fun. We don't have to worry about tonight. We're not going to be bored. The fun one's coming. Well, our relationship with Christ is like that. Because when we get engaged to Christ, when we're united to Christ, when we're saved in Christ, there is no one we've ever met that's more wonderful, that's more kind, that's more compassionate, that's more patient, that's more powerful, that's more thrilling. The relationship is calculated to thrill from the beginning. So is it thrilling? Is it of surpassing value to know Christ? And to be with him. And do we, we communicate him that way? That he is the one in our life that is of surpassing value. You know, every morning I typically wake up, get my coffee, and go to my computer and turn on news sites that immediately lead me to reading blogs and stories and news. Now, just so you don't get me wrong here... Um, I'm not trying to make a comparison between my news sites, which are, some of them are fake news, quite frankly. My news sites that I read and your whatever sites, okay? There are some people who say, oh, it's, I turn on the games. I turn on the sports. I turn on Instagram. Oh, he turns on the news. You know, like that's more spiritual. It's not more spiritual. 
And that's not my point. So don't, don't go there in your brain. It really doesn't matter to me what you turn on first. My point is that what I turn on first at times is extremely boring and discouraging and frustrating. And I wonder if you ever have that experience too with regardless of what it is you turn on because it's not so much what we're looking at but it's what we're not looking at. I love the definition Joel just gave of, of sin from the New City Catechism and it struck me one of the phrases in that definition was that sin was living without reference to God. That really grabbed me when you read that. And as I, I thought about it, that's pretty, that's pretty comprehensive. Anytime you are living without reference to God, you would be out of the will of God, contrary to the law of God. And I think about what I read sometimes that I can read page after page, blog after blog, site after site, app after app, and there is absolutely no reference to God. And after page after page, app after app, no reference to God, at times I get terribly bored and frustrated and discouraged, asking myself, where is God in this picture? Because he is my all-surpassing value. Why am I spending time on these sites that have so little value when I have at my disposal him who is all-surpassing value? So do you ever feel that way? Has Christ become for you your all-surpassing value? value. Is he like the sidebar? He's marginal instead of central. Is he valuable? You know, I assume anybody who makes frequent visits to a church considers Christ of values. That's not my point. My point is not, is he valuable? I assume you value Christ. My point is, has he become for you an all-surpassing, rejuvenating, stimulating, invigorating, overwhelming value? Is he the one that holds all things together? Is he the one that makes life thrilling and fun for you? Or are we always seeking those other things that end up in the end just frustrating, discouraging, and boring us? Well, what's your view of Christ? You know, who is who is Christ? It's important that our kids know who Christ is. It's important that we know who Christ is. When people ask me that question, who's Christ? Who's God? I want to be careful with my answer. And I want to encourage you to be careful with your answer. When your friends ask you, well, 
Who, who is God? Who is your God? Because how you answer that may determine their view of God for a long time. And I want to answer it in such a way that they don't end up with a small view of God, but rather an enormous view of God. I don't want them to think Christ is trivial, but rather all determining, that He's all surpassing. So, how do we answer the question? So that we live and think and act more and more as those who truly value Christ as our all-surpassing value. I think back to the catechism question I memorized when I was in seminary. Who is God? And the answer is, God is spirit. Infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Now, that's a good answer, I think. I think it's still woefully uh, lacking. I think there's more that could be in there. But let's just go with it. What is God? God is spirit. See, I, I, I love how it starts because it's calculated to thrill. I love how it starts because it's, it's bigger. It, 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 it makes my mind explode. And I think our answer to the question, we want to blow people's mind with God. Not manage and control God. God is spirit. See, I don't understand that. How many of us understand this spirit world? It's bigger than us. It's greater than us. It's expansive. God is spirit. He doesn't have a body like men. And all the scripture verses that talk about God came in the flesh coming in the flesh in Christ was to explain the glory of God who is spirit and it, it was not meant to, to diminish God but rather to explain the greatness of God he's not only spirit but he's spirit infinite eternal unchangeable you think about that infinite again I don't understand infinite it's too big for me. How can someone who is finite ever fully comprehend infinite? You can't. You can't go that far. It just blows your mind. He's spirit. He's infinite. Really? Wow. He's eternal. All of us have a beginning and an end. He doesn't. No beginning, no end. Eternal. And he's unchangeable. We say in our culture, our society, the only thing that doesn't change is change. All we know is changeable. And he's unchangeable. Again, whoa. So what's our concept of God? I want us to, to get there where it's, it's bigger, it's greater than we've ever imagined or believed. You know, how you answer that question changes everything. How you describe God, how you answer that question as a parent determines whether your, your child grows up being conformed to the values of this world or to the all-surpassing value of Christ. How you answer that question as a teacher determines whether or not you're teaching facts or whether you're building faith. And by the way, I think one of the since, since we have a school here that 
adopts the classical model and I think the classical model of education is, is very good because it, it realizes that kids learn a lot of facts at early ages easily and so we ought to bombard them with facts but one of the weaknesses to that system that we need to be cautious of is that we give facts without faith because just teaching facts is not where we want to end up but we want to end up and so your view of God determines whether you're just going to teach facts or are you going to give the facts in such a way that the facts blow your mind with who God is and it builds faith not just facts the way any of us answer that question who is God determines whether or not we're squeezed into the values of the world or whether we have the values of God so it's crucial that we contemplate think determine what do we value and what do we value most Uh, is Christ our surpassing value well I'm going to use that definition and just kind of walk you through it. What is God? So we begin to to value who he is. God is spirit. Look with me at John 4, verse 24. Here Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. And he's the one who brings this up. John 4, 24. says God is spirit he's talking to the woman this is Jesus word God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth and the woman responds to that saying well I know the Messiah is coming he who is called Christ when that one comes he will declare all things to us Jesus said to her I'm he that's me says I she says, I understand that the Messiah is coming. And I understand the Messiah is God. And Jesus says, yeah, that's me. And God is spirit. And it just blows her mind. It's like, you know, go get your five husbands, Jesus says. She says, I know you don't have five husbands. You had five husbands. Now you're living with somebody else. How do I know that? Because God is spirit. God is his spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable. I knew this way before you knew this. And he begins to share with her, I, I want you to see, I don't want you to see me. I don't want you to see the flesh God. I want you to see God in the flesh. I want you to see the God part. I want you to see spirit. That I am spirit. I exist as a spirit. Yes, I have a body, but I also don't have a body. I don't exist like you exist. There's something wholly different from me than you. God is spirit. You know, as I think through this, I think our generation and maybe the next generation, we do a great disservice to our kids by giving them Bible picture books and story books that attempt to picture and image Christ. Because there's nothing in the scripture that describes Christ's image. 
I know scripture uses anthropomorphic language in that it, it sometimes refers to God having hands and ears and eyes. But that's just to, you use that language to accommodate the, the capabilities of your audience. But we don't know anything about his ears or his hands or his eyes. God never gave us that because the whole thrust of scripture is to give us God. His spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable. The thrust of Scripture is not to give us a picture or an image. And when we get a picture or an image, what do we do with it? When we get that picture or image, then we can manage and control God in our image. In our categories. And many times, I think doing that is is such a disservice to our kids because they're informed, but they're not confounded and Christ is small instead of enormous he's in a manger instead of on his throne holding all things together creating all things before all things after all things and we don't really get these enormous great concepts that he's immaterial he's invisible he's immortal without passions of men and I know he became a man and that was for the purpose of being our substitute but after accomplishing that we see there's just so much more of Christ and we miss that image that picture I'll give you an example look at Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 Ephesians 6 verse 12 I'll stay with my child rearing theme for just a minute see Ephesians 6 verse 12 says For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces, against this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. All right, we believe that, right? Our struggle in this life is not flesh and blood. It's not the battles we do, man to man, woman to woman, child to parent, parent to child. That's not our greatest struggle. Our greatest struggle is in this spiritual realm, in their spiritual forces. There's an invisible realm and force around us. And kids know this early on. And so kids come to you, they cry out in the night, and they say, Mommy, Dad, help me, help me, help me. What's wrong, what's wrong? I had a dream. Okay, what was the dream? It's an evil, evil monster was coming after me. An evil force was, 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 was killing the whole family. It's tragic. And what do you do with that dream? How do you handle it? You say, well, Jesus will take care of you. So Jesus is a baby in a manger. That's what they've been taught to believe. I've seen his pictures. No, Jesus is spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable. He is He was here before that evil monster. He was here before these evil forces. Satan is a spirit. Angels are spirits. But Jesus is an infinite spirit. Eternal. He can't ever die. He's unchangeable. There's nothing those spirits can ever do to diminish Jesus. He's got this. That's a much greater view. That's the view of Scripture. And oftentimes, that's not the view our kids are getting. 
that he's of surpassing value, greater than what you could possibly imagine or think. We need that kind of view of Christ instead of invented images. Go back to the Bible and get biblical descriptions of who Christ is and who God is. Well, I'll give you a longer one. Look at Hebrews chapter 1. I know I'm still on point one. I'm going to get there. Just hold on. I get excited talking about Jesus. Hebrews 1. Let me take you through it real, as fast as I can go. Hang with me. Hebrews 1. God, after he spoke a long, a long, long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. So again, you begin to get this huge picture of Christ. God has spoken to us in the prophets, but when he speaks to us in Christ, it's different. It's greater. It's all-consuming because in Christ is the one, he says, who created you. And he created all things, even all the prophets. He is... Greater, He's eternal. Verse 3, And He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature. Don't miss that. Christ is God. The exact representation of God. And God is spirit. And His spirit is eternal and infinite and unchangeable. And that's Christ. He says, through whom also he made the whole world. He's the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. He just speaks and things hold together. He can keep it that way. When he had made purification for sins, it's like that's a small part. Yes, he came to be our substitute to make purification for sins. But then he immediately sits down at the right hand of the majesty on high. It's like, whoa. Grab that. He's, he's, he's God on his throne. Having become much better than angels. Yeah, angels are spiritual powers. They're great. But he's much better than that. And he's inherited a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You're my son. Today I've begotten you. And again, I will be a father to him. And he shall be a son to me. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire? But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Think about that. God says to God, you're God. Father God says to Son God, you're God. And your throne is forever and ever. And the righteous scepter is scepter of his kingdom. And you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundations of the earth. And the heavens are works of your hands. It's like, again, it's just saying, you're eternal, O Christ. And there's nothing you can't do. You're infinite in your power. Verse 11, and they will perish, but you remain. See, you're unchangeable. You stay the same. And they all will become old like a garment and like a mantle. And you'll roll them up like a garment. They will also be changed. But you are 
the same. And your years will not come to an end. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? There's your passage to raise your kids. Let me tell you about Christ. He's a spirit, He's infinite, He's eternal. He's unchangeable. He's over all spirits. He holds all things together. He's over all spirits, evil and good. And he's in, he has the power and the control. No matter how fierce their attack, it never diminishes his character or his ability because he's unchangeable. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. They can't change him. He's eternal. Much greater in power and glory. That's the view of God that the scriptures give us. Instead of a restricted, managed, and controlled view, we get a limitless, unimaginable, greater, all-surpassing value view of Christ. Well, let me keep working through a definition of God. God is spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being, in his existence. How does he exist he exists we've already read verses before creation he exists after all things wear wear out he is eternal in his existence so when he created us he didn't need us he before creation he was self-existing self-satisfying self-encouraging which is why the scripture says in Luke 17, it says, if, if all of us were to do everything perfectly and do everything God ever said, it would still not give God anything. We would still just be unprofitable servants because we would still just do what we were supposed to do. He didn't create us to add to his nature. He existed without us perfectly. And what a value that he, he doesn't need us to give him stuff. Yet, his existence, his nature is such that he constantly gives to us. He constantly sustains us. And yet, he's never enriched by us. Wow. That's his existence. That's who he he is in his being. And the fact that he would love us in that condition blows your mind. He's always majestic in his majesty he's always excellence in his excelling he's always peerless in his perfections needs nothing but gives us everything well think about his wisdom Psalm 147 verse 5 think about what God knows Psalm 147 verse 5 says Great is our Lord and abundant in strength and his understanding is infinite. Again, uh, there's no math problem he doesn't get. There's no nuclear physics he doesn't understand. He never says, hey Siri, can you? He never Googles for answers. He knows them all. He's always known them all. There's nothing he does not know. He's infinite in his wisdom. So if we have questions, 
I wonder, you know, are we going to Christ where all wisdom is found or are we quick, more quickly going to Siri and Google and other sources and now I guess Alexa. You know, tell us these things when God, no, let me give you a verse. Look at Colossians 3, 2 verse 3. I'm there quickly. See, um, it says, in Christ, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What a passage. Christ is, is, he's like the resource. He's the pot that you reach into. He's, he's the treasure chest that you go into for all wisdom and knowledge. To seek to educate anyone without going into Christ would seem ridiculous because he is the source of all education, of all wisdom, of all knowledge. It all flows from him. His wisdom is infinite. So do I value Christ? Yes. I don't know anything without Christ. He's the source of all wisdom and knowledge. He alone can determine news from fake news. Well, let's think about his power. Um, Daniel chapter 4, verse 35. I love this uh, brief description of the power of God. Verse 35 of Daniel 4. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. But he who does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, no man can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? When you, when you really recognize Christ's abilities, his power, nobody can say, hey, what were you thinking? What were you doing? It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You don't say that to him. He has all power to change everything. And all wisdom and knowledge, it made sense what he did. He has all authority and power to fix it or to keep it going, whatever it is that seems to be bothering you. It says he has all power. There's no stopping him. He obviously can w- walk on water and calm storms and heal the sick and uh, raise the dead. But so much more. He can control all global climate. He can control all solar systems and galaxies and trillions of stars. Nobody can stop. Nothing can stop. No force can stop him. And that's extremely comforting. Because even though we don't have all the wisdom and we don't have all the power, that means there's lots of times we don't know the why in life, but we always know the who. It's Christ who holds the world by his power, by the word of his power. So he can direct the storms and the clouds and the events and can control whatever it is that we need. There's, there's just no random acts with God. God has planned and he always accomplishes his will. Think about his, his holiness. Revelation 15.4. Extremely important verse that often neglected. As they sing this psalm or hymn of Christ. Revelation 15.4 says, Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? Now, why would you fear and glorify his name? Here's the answer they gave. Who will not fear and glorify your name? Why? Because you alone are holy. Contemplate that a minute. 
Christ alone is holy. No one else is holy. No one else is without sin. No one else is pure as pure can be. Christ alone is holy. He never sins, never messes up, never has, never ever has ever had one bad attitude. Never, ever. That's Christ. And his holiness is proclaimed by the angels. They can't believe it. They're constantly singing, holy, holy, holy. Because no one's ever seen this kind of purity without sin. And it's beautiful. Psalm 29 says, worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. Perhaps we get a glimpse and a taste of it when we see fresh fallen snow. We say, oh, that's pure and beautiful. And just a taste of the beauty and the value of coming before one who will never sin against you. What he does and every thought he has of you is always holy without sin. He's just. Deuteronomy 32 verse 4 just makes the statement, God never cheats. He's never unfair. He's completely just in all of his actions. It's always, always, always right. He never would do something against you wrongly. God is always fair and he will be fair. He will settle all accounts, either on the cross, judgment day, and hell. So being in Christ is absolutely important because if, if we're sinners and he's just, how does a sinner stand before a just God? We don't stand before him. We are destroyed before him unless Christ dies in our place, takes the penalty for our sin, And washes our sin as white as snow. Removes it as far as the east is from the west. Christ when he came and he died on the cross. He didn't just pay for our sins fully. But he satisfied the righteousness of God completely. God is just. That's our only hope. Is that someone has done that for us. Someone without sin. And Christ alone is holy. He's just. And then his goodness. When you think about the goodness of God, Psalm 119, verse 68, that he's slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness and compassion. He's so good. Oh, so good and gracious, merciful. Uh, when, when God lifts us up, he so good. Regardless of your trials, you go through these trials and he always takes us from mourning to dancing. And he takes us from sin to holiness. And he's so good in, 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 his, in his patience. He, he, he endures me, my slow sanctification process day after day after day after day. And so good that God is so patient with sinners willing to endure us and lift us up 
And he does so because he's paid the penalty for our sins. Uh, So that his love for us, his goodness towards us, it's not based on what we do, our accomplishments, our attainments. God doesn't love you because you read your Bible, pray, witness, and fast. He loves you because Christ died for you. And it's already attained righteousness for you and given you his righteousness. Trust Christ. That's how we're loved by God is through Christ. And God's true. I put down Titus 1, 2 for you. Just think about it. It's a, just a phrase that says God never lies. Never fake news from God. This is always true. It's inerrant. It's infallible. Always. Never deceives. His intent is never to deceive. A lot of times people read scripture and say, I don't understand this. I say, well, first of all, just understand. He, God's intent is not to deceive you. It's a lot of times plain and clear. But you've been so bombarded with fake stuff that you don't know how to read the pure, inerrant, and infallible truth of God. It's always true. You don't have to doubt it. You can just trust it. There's no error ever. Well, I'm trying to rush. I went much further to, longer than I intended. But just stop and think with me. Do we not need to repent of the way we've treated Christ? Is he been treated as our all-surpassing value in what we do? Do we not need to repent when we don't get discouraged and bored with app after app and site after site and game after game and news report after news report that has no reference to God? Do we not need to repent when we're not seeing God in the picture? Because if we're not seeing God in the picture, we're not communicating God's in the picture. We're seeking to ignore and displace the God who is holding all things together. So think about just your view of Christ and how it's impacting your life and what you do and what you say and who you spend time with. It changes everything. Jeremiah 9 verse 23 and 24 says let the, thus says the Lord, let him who boasts, let the wise man not boast in his wisdom. Let the mighty man not boast in his might. And let the rich man not boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this. That he understands and knows me. Why? Because that's the surpassing value. We, we boast that we have value in our wisdom, in our abilities, our might, in our wealth, our riches. He says, don't boast in those things. Let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and he knows me. Our all-surpassing value. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. There's so much to comprehend. You're so great and awesome beyond finding out. We sometimes have created, Lord, such a small 
trivial view of you that we've managed you and we've controlled you and we've compartmentalized you so that we could do as we please forgive us we're sinners we need grace we need mercy we need the all powerful infinite redeeming Christ fill us until we're filled and running over May we be overwhelmed with the surpassing value we have in Christ. For those, Lord, who have yet to believe, let them trust you now. Grant them faith that they can know you and understand you and find you to be their greatest value. We ask all these things, O Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.